Hello, I'm Larry Stevenson. Welcome to Let Your Dreams Work, the weekly call where we share how individuals and organizations can harness their dreams to be more, see more, do more, have more, and give more. Dreams are all about your vision. So we've chosen this audio format so you can see your dreams taking place in your own mind as we talk, instead of imposing our vision of how your dreams should look. Tune in, listen with intent, and see yourself living your dreams, and relax into a state where your mind can freely create. This week we're going to explore how to let light and magic on Disney Plus inspire you to let your dreams work. I have to confess, I have always been a big Disney fan. Those of you who have listened to my podcast know that I felt Walt Disney was an amazing dreamer. He was one who could make his dreams come true. He had the ability to see different worlds, different views built on the past. He he loved looking at the past and letting it lead to something brand new for the future. George Lucas. I have admired George Lucas for his ability to see new worlds, to be able to help us immerse ourselves in these new worlds. And and whether you like or dislike the Star Wars episodes, he had the ability to think outside the box and let his dreams work to improve all of us, to, to change how things happened in the movie industry. And so I've been watching with interest the uh, series Light and Magic on Disney+. Plus. It is the story of the creation and the building and the evolution of George Lucas's group of, of self-proclaimed outcasts who changed how films were made in such a profound way. To this day, if you're watching films, look for industrial light and magic in the credits. They are not just in Disney films. They are in films of all genres, always, because they created a new way to shoot films. And as we talk about the evolution of industrial light and magic and the tools that they created, I think that they definitely exhibit this concept of letting your dreams work for something massive. And and they knew in a sense that they were doing something massive. They just didn't know how massive it was going to be. But in doing this, they followed all of the principles that I teach to let your dreams work, these life-changing steps to assure that you will let your dreams work. So I'd like to walk through a little bit and help, and I'm going to focus on the early days when they were making that first Star Wars film, A New Hope, which was the fourth in George Lucas's mind of nine films. He started putting together people to do things that had never been done before. He said, I want to find people who can make things look the way they have never looked before. Richard Dystra um, went on to say about this concept, he says, is that when producers look for you, it is, quote, it is your ingenuity, your ability to give them what you can give, especially when they don't understand it, 
They hope you do, basically. This concept of creating something that no one had seen began with them generating possibilities. They generated possibilities of different designs for the starships. They talk about the fact that when they were designing the rebel starships, they had in mind hot rods, that these were cars that people had modified and changed and they weren't factory operated and the Empire's ships were factory clones, just came out one after another. But the rebel ships were built like hot rods. They were individualized. They had the basic design because all cars start with the basic design, but then they had added features here. They had taken away features there and they allowed the possibilities of what these ships could do to really begin to motivate them. Um, the gentleman who, who created the, the Millennium Falcon describes when they first saw what was going supposed to be the Millennium Falcon, it was too close to a ship that was already in use in a television show. And George Lucas said, I don't want anything that looks like it could have come from anywhere else. This all has to look original. And he went to the model makers, and the model makers said, well, we've already built this cockpit, and we've already built this radar antenna. Could you please incorporate them in your design? And then he talked about how he was just stumped, just could not figure out what to do. And he started looking at things around him, and, and he saw two dishes that he said, I pictured those dishes stuck together, and they looked too much like a flying saucer in all the other shows. And so I knew I needed to change it. So I took the dishes in my mind, and I put, I gave it direction by putting an engine at one end that defined it and showed that, yes, there is a propulsion system here. And then he said, um, I knew I needed aerodynamics, so I put things sticking out in the front, and and then I had that cockpit. I had to figure out what to do with the cockpit, and he said, I decided to just stick it off the end on the side rather than being in the front like a traditional bridge. And he, he talked about, at first he, he thought about putting it on the right side, and then he said, no, I'm going to do this the English way, and I'm going to put the steering system on the opposite side. And that gave the basic form to what became the Millennium Falcon. But it was too shiny. It was too, one of the things Lucas wanted is he said, I don't want them to look like Buck Rogers where everything was pristine and aluminum and streamlined. I want them to look like there's been work on them. And so they used to, they talked about how they used to go and they would order, um, Model kits, plastic, airplane, battleship, car, model kits by by the ton, and they would take the parts and they would start sticking them on the things that they were creating to add the detail. They looked to what was existing and they began to generate new possibilities. They generated a new possibility on a camera that the camera moved rather than the model. The model stayed in place, but it had to have the same lighting surface. And they came up with this new camera that had multiple axes. It could go up, it could go down, it could twist sideways, it could rotate on an axis. And they built this from scratch. 
And that's where the next principle comes in on optimizing connections. It started with Richard Dykstra. He was the first one hired to come into Industrial Light and Magic, what it wasn't known then as Industrial Light and Magic. They were working in a warehouse, and they started optimizing connections. As they knew they had to do different things, they started looking for who they knew that could come in and do those things. For example, they uh, were looking for people who could do stop-action photography to be able to create these monsters that were going to be moving around and they were going to be model sets and they had to look smooth and, and interesting. And so of all places, they went to the commercial world. The world, not the commercial as in people doing um you know, industrial work. No, they went to people who were making commercials. They went and found the people who were making the Pillsbury Doughboy, who were making the Alka-Seltzer guy, and who were doing all these stop-motion things. And they found people, some of them had started making these stop-motion pictures when they were in their teens, 14, 13. And they found one, and that one tied them into three or four others, and so they brought them on. Then they found someone who was good with building, uh, manufacturing equipment and cars and things like that, and a mechanic, and they brought him in. And they started putting together this group of people from all kinds of walks of life who they knew or they had read about or heard of. And this optimizing connections became such a powerful momentum builder for industrial light and magic. They talk about there was a guy who who had a science fiction fantasy magazine in the 50s and 60s. And all the nerds who were into that kind of gravitated to this guy. And it formed this network of people who they later were able to bring into industrial light and magic to be able to think and create all these wonderful stop motion things, uh, scenes that happened in the bar and, and in the disposal and all these different stop action motion pictures. They found a guy who was working at Disney. He was a full-time Disney matte painter. And they didn't even know what a matte painter was. But they brought him in and he created the matte pictures that allowed them to film uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi walking around that generator that seemed to be up in the middle of nowhere. And it was really just six feet off the ground. But the matte Matte painting made it look so much bigger. It allowed them to use an old system in a new way as they were developing. And so they optimized connections by bringing in people they knew, by bringing in people they had seen and respected, and bringing them all in with all these different backgrounds. Because they recognized in order to achieve this possibility that we've come up with, we're going to need talents that we don't have. And preferably people who have not only already done things and know how to do them, but have the ingenuity to be able to see beyond what they've done to what they've always wanted to do and the ability and tenacity to make that work. 
moving to the next one, acting consistently. They were constantly doing things. They were constantly experimenting. They were constantly trying different things. They had one where the process, one guy went down and he was watching the model makers and how they would glue something onto uh, the model, and then they'd put masking tape on it to hold it, and then they'd have to come back and they'd have to take the masking tape off and make sure the piece was there. Well, these guys had access to what was not yet available commercially, but wasn't available industrially, that later became super glue. And he came in and he said, Hey, here's something that you might want to try. And he showed them super glue, and it revolutionized how quickly they were able to build things. They acted on constantly changing and refining the way the cameras were moving and the things that they were doing. They were constantly acting and coming up with tests of explosions and model things. And they said, we, we wanted to get closer than anyone had ever gotten in shooting these scenes. Picture the scene when Luke Skywalker is flying through that little canal on the Death Star. And and that that was a model that the camera was going through, and they had found someone who had done uh, camera work like that. They had actually invented a camera that came down into a small rod, and they could move it through models. And they improved it. They took what was existing, and they made it even better. And even with all of this moving forward and acting and things, when Lucas came back from Europe, where he had shot the the people scenes, they had only two scenes that they could show him that they had developed. Um, and, and all of this equipment that they had developed wasn't even used in those two scenes. But they did it so well, it captured his idea, it captured his vision that they then went forward and began to shoot all these others. And let's face it, how many remember the very first time that you saw episode four, A New Hope, and those yellow letters on that infinity background, and then suddenly there was that massive battle star taking so many minutes to crawl through and they had come up with that way to do it. They had created these. They had generated the possibilities. They optimized their connections. They acted consistently, which brings us to the next step, labeling your limitations. Were they facing limitations? Yes. They were doing things no one had ever done. So they began by defining what they knew they could do. And that came from the optimizing from everybody. They established the scope of what they wanted to do. They established these are the limitations we want on it so we don't go crazy, so we don't go totally off budget, so we don't go in something that really isn't going to fit with this universe. They established those criteria and rules, if you will, that everything could then be set against. For example, prior to Star Wars, after 2001 A Space Odyssey, all spaceships in outer space were silent. They flew silently. Star Trek, silent. All of the things that we saw in the 70s and, and, and 60s, silent. But then they added sound and they said, okay, one of our criteria is there will be sound 
for our machines, and they will have different sounds. And so they then set that criteria. They set criteria, like I said, that the rebel ships are going to be more like hot rods. The empire ships are more like they're coming off the rack. And as a result, we can outmaneuver them because we modified the hot rods. That became a standard limitation, part of the scope. They then looked at real limitations that they needed to address that they could overcome. And they did that with new cameras, new camera angles, new model systems. They came up with all these this new equipment to break the limitations that could be broken. They also had to address their windmills, their false limitations that were appearing real. And there were so many times in the production, someone would say, well, that can't be done. False limitation. There's the windmill. And then they would brainstorm with it. And they would either find a real way to do it, or they would say, okay, don't let that stop us. Let's keep going. And they would keep going. They didn't allow the despair, the discouragement to totally weigh them down. Yes, they had failures. Yes, they had ideas that didn't work. Yes, they had internal options, these emotional things that come up and say, you can't do this. But they dealt with them and they moved forward. And then the synergy was fantastic. They created all kinds of ways to synergize and to create this environment of ingenuity and creativity and motivation. And they synergized in such different ways. They were working out of an old warehouse in Van Nuys, California, and there was no heating. There was, I mean, there was no air conditioning and it was getting hot. And so they they bought an old swimming pool and they put it outside, you know, one of these plastic four-foot-high ones. And they'd all run out and they'd jump in the pool. They'd do some time in the cold and then they'd go back to work. They they found <laughs> someone had one of those ramps that come off an airplane. When the airplane crashes, you can slide down the ramp. And they set that up and they filled it with water and sometimes they filled it with goo they were practicing with. And they would go out and they would just run and dive through that and they use it like a giant slip and slide. And in the show, there's this amazing picture of they were using uh, something that was a goo that turned out to be much more of a lubricant than water. And it shows this young lady and she's flying down here and she flies off and she goes maybe four or five feet airborne and lands on the asphalt. Evidently didn't hurt her, but it was amazing to watch as they synergized. They brought all of these different components, all of these different expertise, this different work to create something that became truly memorable. And to this day, Industrial Light and Magic is still considered one of the top-notch effects units in the, in the industry. Now, I encourage you, Watch the episodes on Disney+. Plus. Watch Light and Magic, the inside story of industrial light and magic. Watch Star Wars again. Watch something that will make you recognize your ability to dream. And take the time to generate possibilities while you're in that can-do thinking. When you're watching what these people do, take some time to just jot down and generate possibilities of what you want to be, of what you want to see, what you want to do, what you want to have, what you want to give. Just generate the possibilities while you are inspired by great dreams yourself. 
follow their example and start looking at the connections that you can use. And they don't have to be people you know. Some of the people who were brought into light and magic, they didn't know personally, they had read about or they had seen something that impressed them. You can do the same. Let this wonderful little episodes on light and magic inspire you to let your dreams work. Thanks for listening this week. I'm Larry Stevenson, and what are you going to do this week to let your dreams work?